0: Hey everybody, uh, this is a little bonus episode that is not educational at all, but it is highly entertaining. Um, during the Right after the Jack Link's Cup, actually, uh, Jason Rambo and I got together uh, at his hotel down in Fort Lauderdale and recorded an, uh, a podcast episode until about 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't really know why we thought that was a good idea, but we did it anyway. And uh, probably a little bit of the sleep depri- deprivation uh, caused us to um, get into some topics that we don't normally talk about. We kind of we wanted to take the approach of, you know, my podcast is always me going off being very educational and through the filter of a coach. And his podcast is always him being uh, an interviewer uh, with people like me on there as guests that they're trying to you know, pull information out of. And so um, Jason and I are really good friends. We talk to each other on the phone uh, probably way more than we should. Uh, for, and every time I get on the phone with him, it's a two or three hour long conversation. Uh, and we solve all the world problems, um, so to speak, which is why that's what we're calling this, uh, this dual released episode. Um, So it's kind of a cool little thing going on, basically, uh, because it's a multi-hour long podcast. What we decided to do was split it in half, and I'm going to be releasing the first half of our conversation today, and the second half of the conversation is going to be released on the Dead Pair podcast on Thursday morning. Um, So what we're going to do is, uh, the way that this podcast kind of split up, the first half is kind of like a, a... Basically, him and I are having a conversation about the NSCA and some things that we think we can do to improve the game and grow the sport, and the second half is just kind of like two friends talking to each other. It's a a really good personal conversation. I think it's fun to kind of uh, uh, listen to because it kind of shows both of our personalities a little bit more than I think many of you are probably used to uh, seeing on our podcast because we don't really get the opportunity to do that, which is why we did this. Um, so, anyways, uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's a lot of fun. Again, not educational. Uh, we just did it because why not? Uh, and to kind of just both co-promote each other's podcasts because we're good friends. and We want to help each other out. So, anyway, um, just a real quick summary of what this week will be because of this. Again, I'm releasing this when you're listening to it on Monday. He's going to be releasing his on Thursday, but this Wednesday uh the 15th of March uh on my YouTube live podcast the informal podcast not the educational one um I'm Jason's going to join me as a guest so the two of us are going to be live on the Journey podcast Wednesday and we can kind of tease some of the information and stuff we talk about on the episode coming out on the Dead Pair podcast but Anyways, if you listen to this and you enjoyed the conversation, check out the second half on Jason and Sean's podcast, which is the Dead Pair Podcast. Um, you can find it on uh, your any podcast app that you like to listen to episodes on. You can Google them, find their website, everything. It's very easy to find. Um, and if you are not already, subscribe to those guys and uh, follow them on social media and on YouTube. They're uh, great guys and they do a lot for the sport. So... I'd like to try to help them out. But let's be honest, their podcast is like two years old and mine's like two weeks old, so they're really helping me out. (laughs) So, all right, cool. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Bye. Uh, Actually, just kidding, not bye. Uh, I just realized, I forgot to mention, that you will find out early on, because we talk about how impromptu it is. We, we uh, tried to, re- because it was like four o'clock in the morning, we, we couldn't record in Jason's hotel room because his family was sleeping. The, ho- the hotel would not let us use the meeting room. We couldn't find anything other than a, uh, a workout room with a humming ice maker that I unplugged and forgot to re-plug in before we left. Uh, and a bunch of people in the hallway and a horrendous echo. So I did my best to edit the audio to make it listenable. I guess that's a word. Uh, I did my best on that, but, um, just a, uh, an apology. It's really not bad. It's just for someone like me, who's a total nerd about this stuff, it annoys me. Uh, and I have to throw it out there. So, uh, yeah, that should. We'll see. Uh, we'll test out each other's, um, Audio engineering because whoever has the better audio, the Journey podcast or the Dead Pair podcast, we'll we'll have to get a we'll get a little self awarded trophy and see who's better. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Now, bye. <laughs> okay. So we'll just get into what, whatever
1: we want to talk about. But um, well, this is definitely impromptu. Yeah, I mean, a fitness center and a hotel. I mean, What a better podcast
0: for Yeah. I don't know if this will make it into the episode, but if anybody is listening, well, hopefully you're listening because it is a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but basically we wanted to record a podcast. So we got kicked out of the meeting. We weren't allowed to go into the meeting room and they were cleaning the hotel lobby. So Jason and I are sitting in his hotel lobby. In Fort Lauderdale, or in the hotel uh, fitness room in the in the uh, in Fort Lauderdale right now, recording a podcast. Very um, very nice little setup. But I will say they have the acoustic foam for the echo that works <laughs> terrible. <laughs>
1: yeah, no kidding. Uh, oh man. So
0: tell, so let's just start off real quick. Tell, tell me a little bit about the Jack since I wasn't able to shoot it. What did you think?
1: Um, yeah, no, it was. You know they're always spot on with the amenities. Um, I think it's so cool that they have Natalie set up around all the courses, Uh, plenty of waters. They've always got, you know, of course, beef jerky and apples and oranges out there. I would say the crew did an excellent job of keeping up with targets and machines loaded and all that. There was a few backups here and there, but it was mainly because they had a small problem or something, but they got it fixed pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, The target variety I was hoping for a little bit more variety. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh, don't get me wrong, Doug Vine said stuff that's big. We all know that. I mean, he's known for that, and that club's known for that. Um, but I just, I think I think it'd be cool if they got a little bit more creative, maybe, um, especially for a big shoot like that. Because let's face it, if you look at the numbers, David, maybe I'm wrong, but the only thing bigger in this country is Nationals. There were over 1,000 people, right? There were over 1,000 shooters there, yeah. Wow. Um and it's amazing too. Like, you know, speaking of that, like the dinner on Saturday night, the line went you know how big the pavilion is. I mean yeah. in two different directions, and it was anywhere from fifty to sixty people deep at a time. And I thought, well, I might as well get in line, and it only took about five minutes before I had food in my hand. Yeah. So and that's not bad, really. I mean it, that's
0: what I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, actually. They cracked
1: yeah. it out pretty quick. Um I was blown away the amount of guns they gave. I could not believe. I think they had over sixty some thousand dollars in giveaways. They had wow. advertised. They had advertised fifty, but they went way beyond that. I mean, the one off they gave away was over eighteen grand. So, wow. I mean, but they. I mean, just it wasn't all just competition guns. There was a lot of cool stuff too. Cool. So, but that was impressive, and then. Of course, the big announcement was that they've upped the purse to three hundred thousand for next year. So that's even drawing. Did the they actually of. announce that? Yeah, they did.
0: Okay, so I, we can put that in this episode. Yeah, right. I will send it.
1: No, they made the announcement. It's going to be three hundred thousand. Um, I'm curious to see what they'll do if they'll add a fourth course. Yeah. Or how they're going to handle if they turn out, you know, a much bigger volume of people. Um, it's amazing to me because the only thing I've ever seen that compares to that is the nationals, course. That place is set up for big volume shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, they continue to expand. Um, I don't know if you saw or not. They had the uh, the helice rings. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to. Yeah. I still haven't done that yet. You it's very that? fun. I want to do it. But I did, I guess if I had something to pick on, like I said, it'd be the target variety. I want to see something more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've all seen the trampolines and all that kind of stuff, but just. I don't know. Uh, make one of the courses fun, you know. I mean, it's been proven, and Joe even Joe Skull even said on our podcast a while back, you know, Zach Keenbaum had pretty much ran the blue course. Now, I don't think he straightened it, but he, he he turned a monster number that nobody else could touch last year. Mm-hmm. And he lost on Joe Skull's softer targets yeah. uh, on the red course. So... That proves to me you don't need big targets to beat people. People are going to miss. Look, I missed a ton of the easy ones. Yeah. And those are the targets I shouldn't be missing. So I think if they just did something that was more fun, um, lighten it up a little bit, be creative, do something cool, do something different. I think that would be really cool because this is a signature event. Um, am I right in saying that the only thing bigger in this country is the nationals as far as volume? I mean, if it is a
0: thousand people, then the U.S. Open probably is a couple hundred bigger. Uh oh, U- yeah. U.S. Yeah, Open is right. probably 1,200 people-ish, somewhere around there. Right, yeah. I forgot um,
1: about that. I, I don't know why I forgot about that. But, yeah,
0: yeah the, uh, but here's the interesting thing that I'm curious to know, because I know what it was like last year, but... Unfortunately, being unable, to, you know, I'm probably the only professional shooter that goes to a major shoot, but <laughs> doesn't, doesn't shoot it.
1: <laughs> I'm sticking the same thing. Thanks for dressing the elephant room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally just got here at one o'clock this, this previous morning. Um, so I wasn't able to shoot the, the any bit of the tournament. But um, the, uh, so I don't know, but I can compare it to last year. And I would imagine they probably didn't regress in this but essentially being the if you if you are the the third largest you know tournament in the united states that also means that you're the third largest tournament in the world right um so being the third largest tournament in the world which is a pretty awesome feat being the second year that they ever had it right um the interesting thing that I thought, and, and this was from my opinion, just observing it uh, today, but also shooting it last year, um, it doesn't feel that way. It feels more like, uh, it's got the feel of... Like an intimate
1: shoot, Exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and I think that that's a very, very, um, you know, talking with the Jack Lynx guys, that's what they were trying to do. And um, I think that it's cool that it seems like they did that. Um, and so, I, you know, I commend them for that. I think that's really, really neat. And, you know, I'm really interested to see where it goes.
1: Well, let's talk about the other aspect of Jacqueline's. And, of course, that's the purse. What was the purse in Dubai? I have no idea. I thought it was $200. I thought it was the same as what Jacqueline's was. I really don't know. But with Jack Links increasing to 300000 next year, does that make it the largest paying shoot? I mean, I know there's been bigger in the past. Yeah. But as far as, well, we know it's the biggest United States, um, unless you're throwing pigeons. Right. right. <laughs> but but um, it, as far as sporting plays go, that is the largest United States, correct?
0: Oh, for sure in the United yeah. States, yeah.
1: So, but it's. That's definitely a lure. I mean, you know, yeah. people want to come and try it for that money. But it's, you know, and, and I, I don't want to toot any horns here or anything. I, I don't mean it this way. Sean and I had, and by the way, Sean's not here, um, unfortunately. But uh, Sean and I had probably no less than a dozen people walk up to us and say that they're either at that shoot or that they started shooting tournaments because of the podcast. Yeah. And that blows me away, dude, it still does. Yeah. I mean, you know me, David, on a personal level, and I'm not that guy, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're incredibly arrogant. <laughs> you <know>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but no, I mean, Sean and I are still humble enough that mm-hmm. it's hard for us to comprehend that kind of thing. Um, but people are one to these tournaments, they're, they're listening to what we're saying and they're getting out and experiencing these big tournaments and seeing some big, tar- you know, some big targets and what it's like to be at one of these. And it's becomes a, what do they call that? A claycation yeah. because so many people just like Sean and I have taken their families there for the week. yeah you know, It's not just about going to the tournament. It, it's more about the experience and not just the big targets and the big money. It's the whole experience of it and, there were so many people from up north that were down there, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is really cool. So it's a perfect time of year for it. Everybody wants to get down to Florida in some good weather when it's wintertime.
0: Yeah, Oh, absolutely.
1: But what was, if you had to pick on something, and I know you didn't shoot the target, so we'll leave that out of it. Um, if you had to pick on something, what do you think would be really cool that they could do to improve that shoot without spending buttloads loads of money? Um, that's a really good question. I'm asking you this because, you know, you put on that, the AFS, um, or not the masters, but the AFS, uh, invitation. Yeah. And everybody still talks about, I mean, I run into people that were there that still talk about that. Yeah. And, but you're good at creating experience. Yeah. You know, so if you had to tweak something, what would you change or do different?
0: Um, I, I think that the reason why I really only have interest in doing invitationals is, is because of what you can do at, at, a, at a small shoot that you can't do at a big shoot. And so I think once you determine the path that you want to take, then, um, then that kind of locks you into what you can create. As far as an experience, because what made that shoot that I put on um, so much different was honestly a lot of stuff that I didn't really do. What made it so different and so special was what I intended in the format of it, but had no control whether or not it happened. I just did things to try to make it happen, which was... That, you know, for example, at, at the Invitational, I didn't allow people to bring golf carts. Mm-hmm. I, I literally said, you do not bring your golf cart because if you bring it, I will not let you take it out. <laughs> um, I didn't allow people to bring their own ammo. I didn't allow people to have a registration. I didn't allow people to pick what squad they shot. I, did, I literally took every choice away from every person and uh, so that I could curate a specific experience that I wanted them to have which was I wanted to use shuttle so the whole squad is stuck on the same cart so that way they can talk to each other and they get to know each other. I wanted to not have uh, uh, any choice in, in ammo and I didn't want them to be able to go to registration because I wanted them to feel like when they got there they were expected and all of the things that they were going to be doing there were already planned for them so all they had to do was show up And that's all Um, I didn't want to even have them feel like my goal was to make it to where other than the auction, the Calcutta on Saturday night, I wanted to make it to where nobody even had to touch their wallet the whole time they were there. Um, and, And for the purpose being that I wanted to direct their attention to something else, which was the people. Yeah, And so the, uh, because that's the thing that we so desperately lose when you get multi-hundred into the multi-thousand number of participants at a tournament. Where when things get so big, your actual own personal experience gets very small. Yeah. Because all that ends up happening is you end up hanging out with the five people that you know
1: well i don't know they had free beer a lot of people hung out yes yeah but But, uh, what ends
0: up happening is they end up hanging out with the people that they're there with you know and so the the so what made my thing so cool was that when people weren't shooting because that i didn't have it to where you know i also space it out so that you didn't you couldn't show up shoot all your tournament targets really fast, and then leave and go. I made it to where you're gonna shoot 25 targets in the morning, 25 targets in the afternoon. Hey, you should probably stay, I'm gonna give you a free lunch. And there was 40 people there total, so people ended up laying out blankets and playing board games in the front yard, and they ended up playing cards in the clubhouse with people that they'd never met before, right. and and they made friends, and that right. was my goal. Um, and then on top of that, there's a lot of things that being OCD and ADHD that that I that I think made a difference, but people might not really understand what it was that made them feel different about it. But um, those are things that you can do at big shoots. Like you can make it aesthetically beautiful. You can yeah. do certain things like that. But you can't get a five hundred or 4, even a two hundred person event to no. feel like you can the other way.
1: No, no, I don't think so either. Um, but if you okay, let's let me let me twist this around a minute. So. Uh, Dave Kelly, the the general general manager there at Quail Creek, comes to you and he says, "Okay, David, I want you to take a golf cart during the tournament. I want you to run all the way around the course and just note things and come back to me and tell me what you could do to improve." Yeah. What idea would you come up
0: with? My idea would be a little radical. <laughs>
1: oh boy, here we go. I I
0: would uh, I I mean. Let me rephrase the question, your question. <laughs> okay.
1: Because we you know where I'm going. But... Yeah.
0: Let's say that I got hired as a consultant mm-hmm. for this shoot. And they said, we want you to make this as best as it possibly can. And we're just going to assume that nobody knows more about that than you. I'm not saying that I do, but just for the sake of this mm-hmm. argument, saying, yeah. let's pretend like I have the most amount of knowledge. The, the important thing to be would be what are you trying to have people experience so the uh, as an outsider looking in i can't really honestly i can't say what i would improve because what i would improve would be through the filter of what i think is important and I know talking to the Lynx guys, I know what they thought was important and what they valued. And from what I observed, I think that they made an improvement on that from last year, which was already the best that I had seen in that. And, and that was that they, number one, they will and I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but from my understanding of some of the things that they thought is number one, they wanted to make the best tournament of the year. They wanted, they wanted to create a tournament that everybody talks about. And what they what they deem to be the thing that causes that is different than what i may. Um but the uh obviously they have something right because it went from 500 people to a thousand people this year yeah and the and it's probably going to get bigger next year um if it if it was if I was a consultant for them and they asked me that question I would have to filter it based off of what the answer to my question would be, which is what do you want? What are you gonna consider to be the most valuable thing? Give me your filter for my decision making and I'll consult you on that. If it was my choice on what to make that shoot be, then if if we're specifically talking about the course, I personally thought I didn't see the courses, all of them, because I didn't get to shoot them. I saw a total of about six of the 36 stations. So um, from what I saw, I was shooting myself for not being able to shoot because I looked so much fun. Um, But I also realized I have the 0.01% perspective on targets, um, target difficulty. Um, But the strange thing that I would do would be that I actually would have no stands. I would shoot in hoops.
1: Really? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. The sun beat down pretty good today. Really I know. Like in the
0: stands. <laughs> that is strange. That's why I mean it'd be a little radical. I would take the stands away. I would make the course where the people would be shooting in, like standing under the trees for shade. But I would do it that way uh, because I, uh, to me, that's just what I I value natural okay. beauty. Uh, you know, it's a weird thing to say, and I realize yeah. probably four other people would agree with me. But that's what <laughs> I would do. <laughs>
1: um. Well. If you don't mind, I want to shift gears for a second. Yeah. Uh, so we had talked earlier today about like the the general climate of sporting place in this country, and Sean and I had someone ask us a question um, over the weekend that kind of took me aback for a second. And they're like, "What can you contribute the growth of the sport to in the last just in the last few years? Because it really has blown up, um, you know." I've Earlier in uh, this past winter, um, Anthony had made a comment when I was out there at his place that, you know, yeah, we've got this growth, but then you see guys dropping off. Um, a lot of them, and, I, and we'll dig into this in a minute, but I think a lot of them hit that master's class slump. Hmm. Um, I think that's what causes a lot of it. But anyway, um, he asked me what, this gentleman asked Sean and I what we the most growth to. Now, my two answers, I said it was two-part. I think one was the growth of youth shooting is just really blown up. I mean, SCTP Nationals has broke records the last two years for attendance. Um, I think that's a big one. And I think the other thing too is media, whether it is these podcasts, whether it's social media, you know, the information about all these shoots is so easy to get to now. Um, you know, Casey Chase does a fabulous job with Score Chaser, and, which was why it was so valuable for us to partner with her. But yeah, um, I think that's a lot of it. You know, if you think back, David, you know, let's go through back to when you won your first US Open. People didn't know about that for two or three months until the magazine came out. Now they know about it live while what's happening. Mm-hmm. So those were my two answers and maybe I'm off base. But, so let me twist that around. You answer that question. What do you think the growth is, or what do you think the reason for the growth is in the last few years?
0: In, in, in clay target shooting or in sporting clays competitive shooting? Well, they,
1: the, the person asked asked me uh, directly about sporting clays. Like so, an SCA tournament type stuff? Yeah, I think that's what they were referring to.
0: Um, I think, I don't have the real measurable data on this, and it would be interesting to see so um i i don't necessarily know what the growth is but i think it's very important that we try to to um understand how we measure it uh i would not be surprised if if it's stagnant or dropping negatively the past couple years um because of the cost of things, but the uh, because we have to look at it this way. I think I think as people who are, you know, I, I made this comment on someone asked a question on Facebook about something, and and I it, it was in a Facebook group of like forty thousand people, and um, they were they were basically the question was what sells more. So, Sponsored professional athletes, social media influencers, or I forget what the last thing was. And everybody was basically the question was set up in a way to where everybody was kind of responding and giving crap to these social media influencers who are not professionals. Right. And saying, like, not, it wasn't the intent of the person that asked the question, it was it, just people that were answering basically, like, you know, giving crap to these social right. media. My comment to them was, guys, I know that we have 40-some thousand people in this Facebook group, but there are 18 million people that shoot this game. Every single one of us is in the 0.1% of this game. And so as any person who is a member of the NSCA is is by far the 1%. We're the equivalent of the billionaires in the United States. And so... The problem is that the filter that we use for grading the growth of the sport is the participation in seven tournaments per year. It's the five regionals, the U.S. Open, and the national championship. And we look at it that if those shoots are growing, the sport is growing. But that's a total of probably no more than 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. And so the problem that we can possibly run into is that if those keep growing, And if that's what the focus of the NSCA is, is to grow those seven shoots, well, the problem is actually we're going to kill the sport. Right. Because, you know, we may be tailoring our decisions and the investment of the money that the NSCA brings in to the 0.01% of people that are going to that, 5,000 people that are going to those tournaments. But what about the monthly tournaments at the clubs in the middle of, uh, you know, Montana? Yeah. Or you know, New Hampshire, you know, I mean, literally my Arkansas state championship has 21 people in Arkansas in it. And yes, and like the the state championship this year is in Texarkana, the club, Rocky Creek Outdoors that's hosting that tournament. half of its property is in Texas and half of it is in Arkansas. So that club actually can have both the Texas State and the Arkansas State Championship. Aww. And the, I, I will not be surprised if there are 150 people that show up for our state shoot at a club in Texas. Wow. Okay, the Texas state shoot has over 1,000 people every year. A club hosting the Arkansas State Shoot in Texas is barely going to hit 150. My home, you know, Hillandale, they get 200 plus in the middle of February with nine degree weather and a blizzard. Right. So the question is, it you know, is the sport really growing? It depends how we measure it. My real answer to that question is, I don't really 100 percent know. I'm not saying it's not, and I'm not also saying that it is. I'm right. just saying it depends how we measure. My answer to you for why does it seem like the big tournaments are growing participation would be because that's where we're spending all of our time and money on.
1: Yeah. Well, Sean's answer to that was kind of interesting too. Is he thought that COVID had a lot to do with it because people were looking for something to get out and do. For sure, yeah. And, you know, outdoors was seemed to be the the green light for COVID. You yeah. didn't need a mask and all that other crap and and uh, he seemed to think that that had something to do with it. And maybe it did, you know, maybe there was a lot of new shooters that came from the COVID era that were looking to get outside, do something. I, I think, and something else that I had mentioned too, is the safety aspect of it because, and I don't think we focus enough on this when we're trying to Advertised sporting plays, it's statistically the safest sport in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I keep going back to my comments, always been the same. SCTP had 3,500 kids that shot over a million rounds in 17 days, not one kid left with a band aid. You can't show me a high school football game that that's happened. Yeah, any high school football game, or yeah. any Friday night. Yeah, okay, so and you know, you look at the you know, demographics of it, ages eight to 80 doesn't matter your gender it doesn't matter your race it doesn't matter none of that matters yeah you can be you know skinny as a rail or 200 pounds overweight it doesn't matter yeah. you can still compete in this game um and i think that is kind of the lure too and mom dad kids they can all compete mm-hmm. they can all participate in this game mm-hmm. that's kind of cool because how many nascar fans out there can take their family Savannah on the track, yes. right, you know? So, it's, um, I don't know, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think there's a lot of determining factors for why the growth is, but is it sustainable growth? And meaning, are we gonna lose people, you know? We all have talked about the college kids and the purse strings are cut and then we don't see them for 10 years, right? right? I mean, uh, there's a few breakouts in there and, you know, you're one of them. Um, you know, Joe Fanisi's one of them. He's still competing even though he's in college. So but there's a lot of kids that hit that, you know. Yeah. It's just, do I buy ramen noodles or a file shells this week? So, right. But uh, it's it's kind of an interesting topic, and I'd really like to speak with someone from the NSSF that does studies on this. Yeah. You know, to find out where it is going. I know trap is huge. Yeah. We don't give enough credit to trap. Yeah.
0: I mean, I know for a fact that Clayton Shooting Sports is, that as an overarching category is growing drastically. I also know that, uh, you know, NSCA membership is growing. Um, what, and I also know that the tournaments that we think of as big tournaments are also growing. But I also see, really, what I see, you know, from the top down, perspective is really a redistribution of participation, because there's are certain areas that are drying up and that participation is moving to other areas.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, if you think about it, there, there's, it's, it there's a lot of clubs in certain areas that are closing down because they can't afford to stay open, but in other areas, there's clubs that are getting built. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, in, literally in the whole state of Arkansas, there is now Th- three gun club, th- three or four gun clubs. That's it? For sporting clubs. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, you know something else too that I uh, <laughs> I was made aware of and I never knew it existed. There's a lot of underground clubs. Yes, yeah. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, last fall, I actually sold some traps to a guy that has one and he invited me to come participate and I'm like, okay, whatever. And it's protection five steps. Yeah, which is really that's cool. really cool. Actually, yeah, and then they do this thing called chip draw. So you're still partnering with someone, but you you draw cards, and whatever number your card is, you you take it up and put it in the box, and uh, you you get these stock of chips. You buy chips, you so you can participate. So you go up and you put your card in the box, and then whoever whoever else got your card. So if you drew a number two and they got a number two, yeah, they're your partner. For protector again, but it boils down to the last two pair, and you shoot off the money. I showed up, and this was this was ran on a Monday morning. <laughs> there was fifty people there. That's amazing. And there was some serious cash flowing around. Yeah. To the point where it was like, this is cool. <laughs> well, the problem is, I went in there, won money, and I haven't been invited since. <laughs> <laughs> but now that's not true. They've invited me back because they want their money back. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I never knew these clubs existed yeah but by going to this one i found out about three more yeah you know and they're like this isn't all that's around." yeah i mean these guys have got probably 10 to 12 traps on two five stands with lights mm-hmm. i mean the one guy's got kind of a fully enclosed and heated five stand but it's big enough for two shooters per station yeah so the station's double wide each one of the five stations enclosed. With like friggin' stadium lights on top of yeah, it. I it was, I mean, this is incredible.
0: But Man, OK was, Corral here, they just installed hardwired lights on their sporting plays course. Are you sure? Yeah, like any day you can go shoot sporting plays at night there.
1: That's wild. That's wild. That's wild.
0: <laughs> How cool is that? That
1: is cool. Um, before we go any further, we got to talk about the shirt you want. I thought you were wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Those are actually clay targets over yeah. top of flowers. Or yeah.
0: That. That's why I wore it. It's a, the Claycation where? shirt from Bear Pelt.
1: That's, okay, where do I order one of
0: these? You can, uh, the actually, I don't think that that you can order one of these. Uh, this was more like a prototype thing.
1: So you're gonna get in trouble from Heather and Eric for wearing that in public because now everybody's gonna want one. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. That's well, I thing. wear it all the time.
1: It's a good thing with the audio pocket. Everybody's gonna be emailing you wanting to see that <laughs>
0: yeah. shirt. So, uh, it, well, people know if you go to the Bear Pelt website and you buy the Claycation shooting vest, it's the same pattern.
1: Yeah, but that's a cool shirt,
0: man. It's a sweet shirt, yeah. Do
1: you know how much better I would make that shirt? Like? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Sean and I are getting ready to release a podcast we got coming out and uh, I think it's an interesting topic that we, can, we can't dive too much into that subject because neither you or I have been in those shoes. It's about being down class for masters. class. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean was recently down class and the guests that we have coming on have been back and forth between masters and double A, um, probably four or five times each. And... Uh, I think it's an interesting topic, and I can't wait to hear their perspectives on it. You know, I haven't made it to masterclass, and you know, unless you get hit in the head with a shovel, you're never going to leave masterclass. So, um,
0: if I quit shooting shoots, I will. Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) you keep showing up with a camera instead of a parazzi. At least I'm shooting something. Yeah, right. But uh, I think it's an interesting topic, and and I think this is something that we can talk about though, if you don't mind, is. There is, there's forever been a debate and a debacle on Masterclass, you know. Ben said that eventually the way the system works, we're all gonna end up in Masterclass. Um, And I've said for, you know that for a fact, I've said it for the last two years, I don't want to go to Masterclass. You know, uh, I'm not delusional to think that I can go to a regional compete with somebody like you or Zach or any of the other people at the top because I haven't done it for 20 years nonstop and, and I don't have the time and the resources to put into it to get to that level. So for me, um, the, the statement that really hangs up my mind is when we had Mr. Hampton, uh, Sean and I had him on our show and he made the comment, he's like, you know, you take you know, Bob Smith uh, from North Dakota, that's a master class shooter, he wins every shooting in the air they don't want him in anything but masterclass. The problem is, is when he goes to the nationals, he's so far down the list you can't find him. He's at 250 place or whatever, right? So how do you fix it? Now, my first thought was, okay, make it so it's like 35 punches. Well, guess what? The guy that's still winning everything in North Dakota is gonna end up at 35 punches. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, well, maybe it's gotta be a percentage and punches. Like you had to carry a certain percentage on your targets. Again, I think that equates to another problem because what if the target center there is soft and he's shooting 95s every weekend, right? So, but you had an, you had an interesting twist on this. Yeah. So, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. What if I want to sell the idea now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, wait a minute. If, if, if you're selling it to NSA, you ain't getting
0: squashed. I'm not doing They'll make me pay to They'll make me pay to get Short
1: form. Short yeah. form, Yeah.
0: So, the, uh, I'm going to back up in answering that because I, I feel the need to say this other thing. So, right now, basically, what we're discussing is is what can we do to structure the format of competitive shooting so that we're not having the problem of people getting to a point where they feel like there's nothing left for them to do. And so then they stop shooting. Right. And slash or they feel very discouraged because once they get to the penultimate thing for them, that, they're, that they're, they can't win because they're right. shooting against people like me right and that's a very serious problem it is and if any other company has a very serious problem with the demographic of the of the of their consumers then what they do is very serious market research right and the question is why have we not done that because the thing that's very frustrated to me frustrating to me and this is where I'm you know I honestly I hope that somebody at the NSCA listens to me in the next five minutes and gets mad and calls me because uh it b- blows my mind why haven't I have not been called about this and not just me but you know anybody else yeah here's the thing if we're talking about doing market research and we were just talking about how many people go to these tournaments right right And national championship will have anywhere from two to 2,600 people at that tournament. Okay. I personally by myself have 1,600 students. So more than 50% of the people at our national championship. I have more than 50% of that many people as my own personal students that I regularly work with. So that means that if you were to put together someone like me, and Wendell, and Anthony, and Brad Kidd, and Corey Cruz, and Zach keinbaum all the people that coach professionally as a job. My income on every bill I pay, make, or pay, is paid by my job as teaching because everyone knows every, all the pros lose money by competing. Yeah. And the way, I mean, that is a marketing expense for me, and all of us. So the, uh, Who has a better understanding of the mind of the consumer than the coaches? Yes. Not a single person because guess what? Anybody at the NSCA, what's their job? Their job is to work at headquarters doing whatever one of their job descriptions is depending on who we're talking about. What's my job? My job is every hour of every day to be talking to the people that are paying the NSCA money. And listening to what their goals are, listening to what their challenges are, and finding a solution for them to marry the two things. So nobody has a better understanding of what the problem is that the NSCA has with membership and classification better than somebody like me or Anthony or Wendell or anybody like not a single person has a better understanding because it's literally my job to find out the problem and fix it. Right why in 20 years have i never been called one time i've never been called one time to say hey what is the potential problem that you see with the way that we're doing things that's a serious problem there's no market research and so this is not a criticism of the people in the nsca saying that you don't know what you're doing as a job but it's a criticism of the people in nsca saying that there's a serious oversight here or it's being done and working as intended yeah and so what my observation would be is that one really good, if, if instead we were to say, what can we do to like, if you give the goal of the classification system to accurately allow an unending amount of challenging uh, competition for every person at every level, Mm-hmm. If that's what the goal of a cl- classification system by the NSCA is, so that no matter how good I am at shooting for the rest of my life, I will always have a, a possibility of winning wherever I go so mm-hmm. that it's fun for me, then the classification system fails at that goal. Mm-hmm. But if the goal is to encourage people to spend a lot of money to go to a lot of tournaments, they can get a lot of punches so they can make masterclass and then therefore make money at the NSCA then the classification system works very well. Yeah, So that's what i <laughs> Okay. So and that's the
1: current state of affairs.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so. And so that's the problem. Yeah. And so that's what we have to identify is what is the goal here and what's the solution to that goal. And I think, and now this is obviously me as an outsider determining what the goal is of that. And it's also very understandable if we can understand that an organization can market a product but have different intentions for the product than what they market it as. Mm -hmm. That happens in every industry. So what I think that needs to be done, if the goal of the classification system is to make it to where no matter who you are, if you go to a tournament, you have a reasonable chance of winning, is that we have to break it down. Because of those 1,600 people that I have lessons with, 80... That's probably a stretch. 60% of them have made the comment to me at least once where it's like, you know, I made masterclass and uh, put it this way, a vast majority of my students are people that have made masterclass all by themselves without taking any lessons. Then they get to masterclass and they're like, Jesus, my average is a 75 and these people are shooting ninety-eights. I need to get better. Otherwise I'm never going to win anything. And this is not fun. So that's where I come into play. And so, um, so that is a huge majority of people. And the problem is if, if I fail at my job, then the NSCA loses a customer.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Because if I
0: can't get that person to win, then they don't want to play anymore because it's not fun. Right. So, the, uh, uh, so I think what needs to be done is that, I think number one, we need to take punches out of the equation, period. Because all that punches do is it's just an accumulation of time. The more you shoot, the better classification that you get. And that's not good. It may be good to stroke your ego to be able to say, I'm a master class shooter, but there's a big difference between externally projected image and internally realized ego. And that internal thing is where I come into play where it's like, okay, let me understand your psychology so I can better influence your shooting. And if you really just have no confidence in yourself because you don't think that you're as good as where you feel like you should be and people judge you on, well, now all of a sudden we have a big problem to deal with in your shooting. So um, the, uh, what needs to happen is that like I think that we should, like I said, throw punches out. And I think we should determine a period of time that there should be a reclassification per year, whether that be in the middle of the year, three times a year, every quarter. I don't know, I would like it to be every quarter because I think that's good for the whole country depending on the weather. Like, you know, every basically every three months you reclassify people based off percentages of their score into the HOA score of the tournaments that they're shooting, not overall, and uh, because that gives a very good Percentage, and then you can have brackets of, you know, people from this percentage to this percentage, you're a master. This percentage to this percentage, you're a double A. And then you could also create a win percentage ratio. So like if you average higher than X, Y, Z in terms of winning tournaments, you're in none of the classes, you're in a pro class. Right. And um, the, uh, so you do that, reclassify every month. So that way, if someone's, has us is in the middle of a slump or they are Northern person shooting in the winter. And then let's say one winter, they decide to go down to Florida and they are shooting in Florida a lot. And they, and you know, some, they're dealing with different weather, better temperature, different score percentage, reclassify them. Don't have them shooting in a score where, you know, if I, if I, if I were to move back to Ohio and I should go to the winter tournaments and my score percentage, you know, everybody's score percentage goes down by 3-5% to 5% during the winter up north because you're shooting with 4 inches of extra clothing and you can't move you yeah. your cold. you can't even feel your gun. You, know, you have to reclassify, so that's why yeah. you need multiple months. And then on top of that, I think the important thing to do is I think there should be a tiered system based on the uh, The shoot itself? Yeah, based off of the, the importance of tournaments. So I think that you should have different classifications of of, your, of what class you're competing in based off of if you're competing in a local, like monthly tournament at a club versus if you're competing at a state championship versus uh, I personally would consider like anything from a regional championship higher to be, that should be its own category. I don't think you need to uh, uh, break it down more than that because if you're breaking it down more than that, then you're really gonna basically only allow them to count the score from the previous year, right. so um, so like I think that, it be, and the reason for that is because you have the you have the local guys that um, you know I mean they're shooting ninety fives and ninety sevens on their monthly tournaments at home and winning HOAs there, but you throw them into a regional championship and they're gonna shoot they're gonna average eighty two percent, right? You know, and because they don't have the experience of competing at that level on those targets and that, and that level of technicality of a target set and everything else that comes into play, then they shouldn't. They're, they're not a master class shooter. A math, you know, a professional or master class shooter. If you're talking about somebody at the national level, is totally different than somebody shooting that score in, that never leaves an hour from their house. Right. Exactly. It's not the same, and you can't. So you cannot compete with that. You can't compare those to people. But if. The way that the reason why this system that I'm talking about works is because those guys that can shoot those scores that would be a master class at their home club. If I go to their home club to shoot a monthly tournament, they could beat me right. because I can't shoot 120 out of 100. Right. I'm gonna shoot a 97, and they might shoot a 96 or 98. Right. So you know, if you classify it based off of the size of the shoot, it does work to scale. Because you're shooting a maximum amount of targets, and those guys don't miss on their targets, yeah. and neither will I. But then when we when we you know make it a bigger tournament, I'm still not going to hopefully, right. and they but they probably will because they have they like the experience, and I think that's the best system that we can have.
1: Well, you know, every solution to a problem has the potential to generate more problems. Oh, always, yeah. But I think I'm great at creating problems. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. So that's my life. Uh, but I think where we're at currently, if we keep going the way we're going, we're gonna end up with even bigger problems. Yeah. I think I think it's gonna it's gonna balloon, and we have to try something before we end up with nothing. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm a big advocate. You know, Tony Rivera wrote um, some articles for Clay Shooting USA, and uh, when I read the first one that came out. This past winter, uh, he talked about just money in itself. If we all put an extra hundred bucks into a shoe and there's a hundred people that shows up for the shoot, it's ten thousand extra dollars. Yeah. The prize money, you know, not including, you know, of course, the club has to pay the NSCA and the state target fees. That's fine. Charge whatever you got to charge for that charge what the club's gotta charge. Say if it's normally a $75 for a 100 bird shoot, okay, we'll make it $175 and put all that money back to classes. It's 10,000 extra dollars for 100 people. So I was a big advocate of that. We're still, the, the jury's still out. I'm still waiting on some clubs to try it and get back to me. Yes. You know, I've announced it on the podcast and I told them. I said, anybody that wants to do it, let us know we'll announce it. You know? Yes. Um. How, question, let
0: me interrupt you unless I'm gonna distract you from your thought. No. Okay. Does that system have a different classification or would it use an ICA classification?
1: So the second article just came out and it talks about match play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And that works off of kind of- It's handicap kind of? It's handicap and I I need to, before I speak out my rear, I need to read more of the article, but I haven't read it all yet. Yeah. I need to read the whole thing through before I can comment on it. It's, but from what I'm taking it, it's a little bit like what you did at the AFS Invitational. Uh, yeah. Okay, and now here's here's the point that Tony made and before everybody rolls their eyes and says, yeah, whatever, this can never work. If you go to a bass tournament and you walk up to anybody in the parking lot, none of them say, oh, I'll never win. I'm just here to fish with my buddies. But when you go to a sporting plays tournament, 90% of them are saying. Oh, ninety nine yeah so you've got master's AA, a b C D e class you got seven classes yeah there's probably only a handful in each one of those seven classes called five that can that feel they can win their class mm-hmm. Probably only a total of five that feel they can win the whole thing mm-hmm. with what Tony's proposing is every single person that shows up there can win yeah um i think that kind of that gets the gut some of the elite at the top to grit their teeth a little bit and some of the very very bottom to grit their teeth a little bit mm-hmm. but it sure does raise eyebrows to everybody in between yeah so I'm, I'm anxious to read the article and maybe we'll follow up on that um i know you talked about having Sean on your show coming up maybe maybe by then we will read the article and yeah. get into a little bit deeper Um, but I think that might be a possibility, maybe incorporating some of that, but I really like your idea of going with the percentage. Now, is that not what the CPSA does?
0: It's very similar to what the CPSA does. Um, the, I don't know if this, I know that the CPSA does reclassify multiple times in the year, or at least once in the year. I don't know if they scale it based off of the level of tournament.
1: Now, do, uh, do they have to shoot selection shoots for that, or is it just I think wherever
0: they shoot? That's a good question. I don't know.
1: Okay, I thought they had to shoot selection shoots. I mean, that. I know
0: they have selection shoots like for their teams and stuff. I I just don't know. Yeah. Like it's actually very, my opinion as a competitor. I love the way they pick their team, like the the English shooting team, uh-huh. because yeah. uh, it, it's basically like. Here's our, it's the way that we pick our Olympic team. It's like, this is the shoot. If you want to make the team, you come with the shoot and you have to win. Oh, okay. It's pretty gotcha. cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very interesting. I just think there's, you know, look, everybody's got a ton of ideas. Um, I've got a ton of great ideas. The trouble is most of them suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, the NSCA sends out a... Um, a survey card after the nationals every year. Uh, now they're doing the electronics all email. Yeah. What can we improve on? What did you like? What didn't you like, everything else? Why not take a vote inside the board saying, here is five possible solutions and send it out to every NSCA member and the majority wins. We're gonna yeah. try this way. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have gotta try yeah. something.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do want to say, because I just spent ten minutes dogging everybody there,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that I, I can I can dog them on one thing, but I can compliment them hugely on another. Because I don't think that the that I don't think any organization or person individually, not just talking about NCA, just the way I view the world, I don't think it's black or white. Right. I think everything is gray. And so very, I feel like, yes, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like if I, I can criticize you on one thing, but that doesn't mean that you're bad. And I, but, and I can compliment you hugely on another one. So for me, like, um, for people listening, I apologize. I just got a notification that I have lessons tomorrow. <laughs> the, <What>? uh, uh, <laughs> in case I forgot, it reminds what me of you? 1230. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah. Shame but, uh, the, um, uh what the NSCA i think did that i am so proud of them and excited about and enthusiastic about and i think that was a that it was a really good first attempt at was what you were involved with with Mark Rappalsar yeah which was the the super squad and and um live coverage and Yeah, the live coverage, coverage of it the investment made to the property and i and like that was the most exciting thing that I've had in shooting in in, in a decade. And you I know, think that's so cool.
1: It's funny you say that because Justin had called me. So Mark asked me um, if I'd be a part of it. And I, maybe I didn't quite totally comprehend what he was asking me to do, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I thought it was exciting, you know? Yeah. And so then he had asked Justin and Justin agreed. And then Justin and I had called back and forth a few times and we were both pretty nervous because we didn't want to go out there if this thing was just a throw-together throw thing, you know, we didn't want to look like idiots, but, but I had faith in Mark that he was gonna do something good with it. Yeah, um, Mark's and a good then, dude. You know, once Mark had talked to both of his conference calls a few times, Justin was pretty confident in it too, walking into it, but that really did turn out good and, and I was really excited um, to be a part of it. And, I think you're right, I think it is gonna be something cool. Hopefully they ask me to do it again. But, um, you know, on a state level, I'm, I'm now vice president of the OSCA. And then on a national level, I was just left elected a delegate um, for the NSCA for state of Ohio. and. So I'm starting to get a taste of some of this, and nothing happens fast. I know. And to make a big change like what you're proposing, boy, would it take time. The problem, I think, is is that's not a change that you can do little bits at a time. It's It's going to have to be all or nothing. And I think that's what scares people. You know, if you look at the, the NSCA as a whole, it, it's a, yeah it's a big powerhouse organization but man they make changes that affects every shoot in the country mm-hmm. not just the nationals so i'm sure they're they would be terrified to make a big change like that yeah you know, and it may never happen but something has to be done yeah um i don't know if that means for a temporary short term make it 40 punches <laughs> get the masters um but you know I, I don't know what that is um I sure would like to sit in on meetings and be a part of it, you know, and and hopefully, being a delegate, I get to, hopefully, this topic comes up and we get to voice some opinions, you know? So,
0: that's the one thing that for me, this is why I love really the best way to explain it is just like saying the free market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, number one, the, uh, as an organization, a board and an, and an advisory council and an executive council and a bunch of members and you have to be public about everything and, to, and you know and nothing happens fast and uh, you know i mean i commend you for for doing what you're doing and getting involved i mean i back in the day i got asked to be, you know, I got the call, hey, we want you to be involved in the advisory council. We want you to do this eventually, go to the executive council, the NSCA. And, I, and, you know, we were doing stuff on the board together in Ohio. I thought, I think the Ohio board is a model board for the rest of the United States. I think that the OSCA is incredibly good. Um, everything has their problems, but I think that look at what the, the OSCA has done in the past five to seven years, uh, with the state championship, I mean, we're gonna—it's it, incredible. Um, but the—I uh, am personally am somebody. It's a—it's an incredibly good strength of mine, but a massive weakness at the same time. I—I I think that you know, like having to follow, having to get everybody on board, present things through Robert's rules of order, and ask permission to speak and have to get all these votes on it's the most ridiculous bullshit <laughs> and it's so annoying because what's more efficient is you get somebody in there with a good vision and then just run with it and if they make a mistake change it again deal with it as you go and the for me and i recognize there's massive inefficiencies in that too God. but i'm not a patient person when it comes to making a, like moving something forward and it's why I'm either gonna be wildly successful or a massive failure in every little venture I do because I'm either gonna bomb it or blow it up, yeah. so to speak. But the, um, yeah, I, I th- and so that's going back to the whole free marketing. This is why things like other organizations trying to make a change to compete with the NSCA, which ultimately never will work. You're never gonna get, you're never gonna beat the NSCA. But if you have new games or other organizations or some other little thing that happens, you're gonna do something that's gonna force them to make a change fast, probably to be better than you, to put you out of business, and that's gonna make a difference. And so I like when things like that How, happen.
1: Well, they say nothing will make you better than competition.
0: Exactly right, and, yeah. that, and that's why, we, you know, that type of thing is good. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like the live tour and the PGA tour. I'm not talking yeah. about something like that, but I'm talking about, you know, like if someone were to put together a series of shoots that uses a different classification system that registers as NSCA events, that just blows up and becomes wildly successful, then the NSCA goes, hey, that works. Let's try it.
1: forces their hand. Yes. You know, uh, I'm a
0: full supporter of the NSCA, but, you know, sometimes we need to convince them a little faster.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny because you brought up, you were talking about the NSCA and the way they do things, and I can tell you right now, I do not have, and I'm going to say this publicly, uh, I know my other members are going to listen to this, I do not have as much anxiety being live with the TV camera pointed in my face as I do sitting in that board meeting. <laughs> and it, you know, and the reason why is because like going in there, I was friends with every single member on the board. Yeah. And I thought this is going to be really cool, you know, and make a difference, and you know that's the whole reason you join that stuff. And then you it quickly becomes you have to take. Your own personal motivations away, and do what's best for the shooter. Yeah, and it's it's difficult because you've got club owners and managers and stuff, and it's so easy to flip switch and worry about the club. Mm -hmm. The club doesn't exist without the shooter, right? So I'm not personally tied to a club, so it's a little bit easier for me to go. Wait, my guys, this is about the shooter. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of a reality check, but what I like about the OSCA is everybody that's on that, we've got a really good board right now. Every single board member is a shooter. Yeah. And um, we're trying something with the high-stakes shoot, um, being with money and giveaways. We've really increased it this year. We've upticked it really big. And there was some backlash, and even after we voted, there was some backlash. But I think the general consensus was wait a minute, let's stop. Let's just try it this year. Let's go ahead as planned. Let's try it and see how it works. And we'll reevaluate after the Ohio State shoot and make a decision as to whether or not we're going to keep it this way. So I think, you know, hats off to every single member on that board. Um, from Christina Loudensliger, who's our president, everybody, they said, you know what? Yeah, let's try it. Mm-hmm. So, and I, That's awesome. That's what that board's there for, is to improve the experience for the shooters, introduce new shooters, you know, kind of like what Sean Ryan's motivation was for the podcast. Yes. um, That's pretty cool, but I don't, I don't see it with the NSCA, and it's not a criticism, because I know you're talking about, you're not talking about one little state. You're talking about the entire country. You're talking about, the national championship, which is five times larger than the state shoots are, right? So it's harder. You can't just make a big change. You can't just throw gas on fire if you want. Yeah.
0: I would like to see the NSCA do some stuff where, you know, like, a a great example would be, just randomly, I don't know why I thought of this, but thinking about new clubs popping up, but that Airport Ridge. Yeah. And, um, you know, my question would be, why does, and maybe they do, and if they do, I apologize, but I mean, I started the club and I never got reached out uh, in this way, but my, I, I, I didn't need it, but I never was. And maybe it was because they assumed I didn't need it that I didn't get reached out to. But my question would be, um, why does the NSCA not have a program that promotes and helps and directs the development of a new club It says, here's a business model that works. This is the best way to structure everything so that you actually make money. Here's a structure for corporate events that works where you can make money. This is a good pricing structure. This is a good, this is basically a, you know, a projected costs if you do X, Y, Z, This is a great way to structure membership. This is how you can advertise these. You know, like, I don't understand why there's not guidance like that. I don't know. That's one of the things that I really, really am proud of to say that the state association in Ohio, not necessarily that they do that for a club, but they do that for the state championship, which helps the clubs. And I, I think you would be surprised, like, how many other... I mean, I've been involved in state or organizations in multiple different states, and I've never seen anything work as fluidly and efficiently like they do in Ohio. I've never even seen another state do what the Ohio the OSCA does for for the state championship, um, and obviously, look at the growth of the Ohio State Championship compared to any other state championship. We may not be the biggest, but by far, we are growing. The Oh yeah, but Arkansas doesn't even have an ASCA. I went, when I first moved there, I wanted to start when I went to the local clubs and this is the exact response that I got from everybody. I said, Hey, I would, I, you know, I'm starting this club and I, you know, I'm just coming from being on the board for the OSCA and look at what happened in the, you know, not taking credit for it, but look at what's been happening over there and I, I would really like to start two things, a club owners association and a, and an Arkansas Sporting Players Association. And But I would obviously need you to be a part of that, to, I'm talking to the owners and, and managers of every gun club. And um, they'd say, okay, well, how would that work? So, well, basically the clubs, it can work any way we want, but the way we do it in Ohio is the clubs pay per registered target that they throw, a percentage, and it's not expensive, basically a penny at target, to three pennies a, a target. and um, And then we, you can use that money to help promote, we can, we get to vote on what we use that money for. And um, my response to that was, well, I don't want to lose a dollar a shooter for my tournaments. My response to them from that was, how many people do you have here? And it'd be like, I would always approach people at the tournaments, you know, I'd be like, oh, we got uh, the biggest one I went to had 41 people. Um, the average is around 25-ish people per tournament. And uh, and the and the response was, um, it, now I will say there was one that did not have this response. It was actually pretty excited. I don't want to say who it is. I don't want people to feel bad. <laughs> but um, the, this was my normal response. Well, we don't want to lose a dollar a shooter. I'd say, okay, but how many shooters do you have? Well, between 25 to 40. Okay. So how much is your profit per shooter? whatever the profit is. Basically, what I'm saying is if I could get you three more shooters, I would pay your $40. Right. Do you not think I can get you three more shooters? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the outlook on a lot of it. Yeah. And and so it's it's that's frustrating. Yeah. You know, but it, it really, you know, if you get the right people in place, it make a big difference when it comes to the growth. that The growth in sporting place.
1: will happen at the
0: grassroots level, not at the national level.
1: Yeah. I that, well, 100% I agree with that. But one last thing yeah. about master class, and then we'll, we'll move on from that. David, you know this because of your student base, and, and you and I have had this discussion. You've got some students that... Uh, to say they have money is a slight understatement. Yeah. Um, some of them own very, very large corporations. Yeah. There's a lot of very high up people that shoot sporting clicks. For crying out loud, Donald Trump Jr. was just at the Jacqueline's Cup. Yeah. Uh, don't you think, and we've talked about corporate sponsorships. Yeah, okay, everybody says, well, we're shooting guns. Now, wait a minute, don't you think for a minute that the people that shoot this game that are very high up, they either own corporations or they've got a lot of money, they could very easily sponsor the or regionals or whatever. Don't you think that they see this problem and they're like, because they compete themselves, and they're like, I'm not throwing money at something that's just a fiasco. Where I'm not throwing money at something to only support the top 20 in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you think that's could be a determining factor? If, like, if we had a way of fixing master class, I guess that's my, that's my point. If we fix this problem that we have, don't you think it would be more inviting for sponsorship? Yeah, I mean, you know how
0: those people make millions and billions of dollars, right? It's that they're smart, the decisions they make with the money. Right. And right now, the reason why none of them do is because it's not a smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> Thank and, you,
1: there's my point. So.
0: <laughs> can we just mark this down in history at the time that you took five minutes to <laughs> explain something I
1: was, that I, I could say
0: in one sentence?
1: I was just thinking <laughs> Mark it down. I was just thinking the same thing. It's like, wow, I talked for two minutes and he summed it up in one sentence. This (laughs) never happens.
0: This
1: (laughs) never. This is is
0: the greatest day of my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I'm
0: turning over a new leaf.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My wife it says she's gonna be like, you gotta be kidding me. You what happened? You guys switch roles. Oh Jesus. Uh, Yeah.
0: The uh, but here's the thing. It's not.
1: (laughs) It's not. No. Oh, God dang. I was thinking, it. why did you see the Charles No. Oh, God. I'm Do crying.
0: Back to Shut up, Jason. Shut up, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, Jiminy. Okay, so the, uh, not only is, yes, if you um we have to fix that. Because if we fix the classification, then really what we get is, It's like, think of it this way. You and I both own podcasts. Mm -hmm. And what to you is more important when you go to attract sponsors? Is it saying that I get- Well, that's all you guys get. There's a little cliffhanger there. I cut that right before I started to answer his last question to me about solving the world's problems and fixing the NSCA. Um, hopefully, I apologize if I offended anybody with anything I talked about, but I tend to just say it how it is. Um, and really, who doesn't if they care about what they're talking about? So uh, anyways, uh, if you want to listen to the rest of this conversation, this, as, and as you can tell, it gets funnier. This is where it starts to become really entertaining, um, which, uh, man, I don't know why, you know, Never mind. I was gonna throw shade on Jason, but I, he, but I can't do that because I haven't been answering his phone calls, and he'll he'll give me a bunch of crap. But uh, so, just a reminder: if you guys want to listen to the other half of this, um, head over to the Dead Pair Podcast. They're going to be releasing on Thursday. But for all of you that listen to my podcast, you're going to probably, well, not all of you, but some of you will be joining me live this Wednesday, the fifteenth. Uh, on YouTube for the informal just community hangout and uh, Jason will be an, uh, a guest there and we'll go over some fun stuff have you know who knows we might be doing something cool we don't know we do everything live over here uh, and over at the dead pair podcast they're very structured and organized and planned four months out so uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll revert to uh, the expertise of everybody over there to determine what the schedule is for the rest of the week so thanks for listening guys i appreciate your time and uh don't worry i bombed you guys with about five podcasts in four days so um the schedule is still going to stay how it is i'll see you on the live on wednesday and i'll be putting out some more educational stuff later this week cool adios